You're listening to the Hope Assembly podcast with Pastor Ryan Day. For more information, you can visit us online at hopeassembly.org. Please enjoy this week's sermon. Well, today we're going to continue our series on Pentecost. We're reaching kind of the end. I think we might have one or two more weeks left in this series. Uh, today we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. I alluded to it last week. We left off as we talked about abiding in Christ, um, this new identity that we have uh, in Christ and that we should lean into and, and, and abide in Christ so that we can produce much fruit, and that fruit being the fruit of the Spirit. So today we're going to talk a little bit about how the fruit of the Spirit works in our life. Um, before I dive directly into the scripture here, I do want to I want to reference this um, this YouTube channel that I've been watching. So um, there's this channel I've been watching on YouTube called the. Uh, uh, Samson Boat Company and Jim Mason actually turned me onto this a few weeks ago. He says, "Hey, I've been watching this young man on this YouTube channel." And so I went to check it out, and it's called the Samson Boat Company. And it's this young man named Leo uh, Samson Goulden, who's a sailor and a boat boat builder from Bristol, England. And now he's on this mission to rebuild and restore, in a lot of ways, this uh, boat called the Tally Ho. Now, the Tally Ho is a 110-year-old, a 48-foot English sailing yacht. Um, I know it may sound boring right now, but follow me for a minute. It's a 48-foot sailing yacht, um, 110 years old. And he found this yacht in Brookings, Oregon, purchased it for like a dollar, um, had it shipped up to Squim, Washington. And in Squim, Washington, he's been working on renovating or rebuilding, really uh, restoring in some ways, this 48-foot, 110-year-old yacht. And now on the channel, Leo sort of takes us through the ups and downs of this real rugged craftsmanship. Um, it's mind-blowing, very intriguing. You might think it's boring. Go check it out, Samson Boat Company. Um, but this rugged craftsmanship, and all the while, the, uh, and while all of that, excuse me, is fascinating, you know, him handcrafting these beams and this uh, keel timber and it at a purple heart and all this stuff that I'm learning about wood craftsmanship. And I, I'm not even really a, a person who does much woodworking. Um, I, I, all, although all of that is very intriguing, it's not the most intriguing or most fascinating thing to me. The most fascinating thing, and I'm like 60 some, maybe even 70 episodes in to this YouTube channel. The most fascinating thing to me is Leo's commitment, his willingness to take on this enormous, um, daunting even task and see it to completion. That he and the volunteers that have periodically joined him, and it's been this wonderful community of people that heard about what he's doing and have jumped in to help. But he and these volunteers that have spent countless hours laboring over this handcrafted boat. And his commitment to the restoration of the boat, it reminds me so much of Eugene Peterson's famous line about being a disciple. This idea of long obedience in the same direction. I'm going somewhere with all of this. But Leo Sampson, in this quest to rebuild this tally-ho, has spent now more than a year, if not two years, handcrafting with an end in mind, working day after day, one step after another step, long obedience to some direction, to fully restore 
this beautiful 110-year-old 48-foot sailing yacht. Now, this also reminds me of God's commitment to us. His, we are his personal restoration or resurrection project, if you will. That God possessing us as his own, giving us a brand new identity, and slowly but surely he is shaping us into his image. And as I watch this YouTube video and I see as slowly but surely Leo and all of his volunteers are beginning to shape this wood into the image of the tallyho, into the image of what this ship is supposed, this yacht is supposed to be. It just reminds me of this beautiful image of how God is slowly but surely handcrafting our lives, shaping us, molding us, remaking us into the people that he's called us to be. Now, last week, we talked about the, this idea, because you are not orphans, bear fruit as one who, bides, who abides in Christ. Fruit that remains, the fruit of the Spirit. And we want to talk about this idea because the fruit of the Spirit isn't an, a microwave idea. It isn't an overnight success idea. The fruit of the Spirit requires long obedience in the same direction, it requires an intimacy with the Spirit of God in a way that we allow ourselves, um, we find ourselves being uh, connected, united with Christ by the Spirit for a long haul, for a long-term project to see this resurrection life breaking forth in each and every one of us. Now, we get the term, the fruit of the Spirit, um, from Galatians, as Paul wrote to the church uh, churches in Galatia, he references this idea of the fruit of the Spirit. And so I want to read that to you out of Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to read verses 16 um, through 26, though we're only going to draw from a few of these verses here. But let me read it all to you for the context. Here's what Paul says to the churches in Galatia 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, uh, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Verse 18, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That's a serious list. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And let us not become conceited, provoking one another, um, envy or envying one another. This is where we get the idea of the fruit of the Spirit. 
Paul writing to the churches in Galatia about what it looks like to walk in the ways of the Spirit. And so let's pull a few things out of this text this morning. The first thing I want to show here is that there are, there are these competing identities. Last week, we talked about that we now are in Christ. We have been adopted. We have been given an inheritance. And in give, being given an inheritance and being adopted, we now have a new identity as children of God. But even though we have this new identity, there are still competing identities within us. There is still this battle, this war between the flesh and between the spirit of God that resides within us. In verse 16, he says, I say, walk by the spirit. You'll not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other. It's important to note that these are competing identities. This is why Jesus emphasized abiding in the vine. If you abide in the vine, if you abide in me and I abide in you. Why does he say if you do these things? Because there is a likelihood that we will forget our identity in Christ, that we will have a propensity to wander from the things of God and find ourselves abiding in or resting in or laboring for things outside of the kingdom, that we will find the identity of our flesh um, winning over the identity of the spirit that we have within us. And so Jesus emphasized abide in the vine. So these two competing identities is one, the works of the flesh. And the works of the flesh simply means this is all that a man is capable, capable of as a sinful human being apart from the grace of God. Right? So the sinful flesh or the works of the flesh is all that a man is capable of as a sinful human being apart from the grace of God. If you remove the grace of God from my life or if I step out from under the grace of God and just decide to live, to give way to my own passions, my own desires, what generally is going to happen is I'm going to find myself giving way to the sinfulness of my own human heart, um, that my heart is a is a factory, uh, an, an idolatry factory, that it is a a producer of idols, that I have a propensity to worship other things. I have a propensity to enthrone even myself and my own ideas in my heart. And if I'm not abiding of Christ, if I'm not careful, I'll give way to the works of the flesh and therefore find myself identifying more with my sinfulness than with my new nature in Christ. And the only antidote for this sinful nature, really, the only an antidote for the works of the flesh fully is the resurrection. That's what, we're, that's what we're living towards. That's what we're leaning into. We have the resurrection of Jesus beautifully declaring to us that one day we too will be fully resurrected. So the only real antidote for this works of the flesh, this, this uh, competing identity of the flesh that we war against, is that one day we will be, we will be fully resurrected and will no longer longer have to battle the desires, the sinful nature of the flesh. But this fleshly desire is an untethered identity. The fleshly desire, this competing identity, this fleshly desire is an untethered identity. It's a, it's a sort of identity that says, whatever, que sera, sera, what will be, will be. Whatever feels good for you, you do that. Whatever feels good for you, that's good for you. What, what's my truth is my truth. And the problem with that is that that's not how the kingdom of God works. We need our identities 
tethered into the kingdom of God and the spirit of God. You look at those sort of list of this fleshly desire, and we talk about an untethered identity. Uh, the works of the flesh, he says, are evident. Like it's obvious. You can tell when people are functioning in the work of the flesh. What are those things? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, this untethered, you, you hear this list and you're like, it seems as if there is nothing restraining this sort of person. They are untethered in their identity. But the other identity of these competing identities is to walk by the Spirit. And I love that it says walk by the Spirit. Not run, sprint by the Spirit. The idea here is this long stroll with the Spirit of God. This, this um, willingness to walk out. Uh, I want to flesh this out later in another series, but walk out this sort of Godspeed pace. And this Godspeed pace, like this question that it was a, a Japanese theologian, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, that, that proposed this idea that what if God's speed is actually just three miles per hour, which is the average pace that a human can walk, right? Walk by the Spirit. Remember, God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, or Enoch walked with God and he was, and then he was not, for God took him. It's this idea of this long journey with the Spirit of God. And so the competing, and hopefully the winning identity in our lives, is to walk by the Spirit, to live in and lean in to the spirit-led life, the life that binds us in Christ and cultivates the God kind of life in us, this long obedience in the same direction kind of life. So we want to be people who walk by the spirit. And in doing so, when we walk by the spirit, we will see the fruit of the spirit being cultivated in our lives. Now, I want to talk secondly here about the fruit of the Spirit and, and, and chief among the fruit. And so 22 and 23 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Nine fruit of the Spirit. And against such, it says there is no law. I want you to notice the juxtaposition here is between works the works of the flesh, and fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And also, it's juxtaposing plural, the works of the flesh, and singular, the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is working towards one main goal, is to bring us into the likeness of Christ that the fruit of the Spirit would show up in these certain ways, but the big idea is that we would become like Christ. So the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, many people would say that this is what Paul is referring to, that ultimately he's saying that there is chief among the fruit one fruit, and that is love, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, and from that fruit flows 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And I really personally find this to be a very helpful way to view the fruit of the Spirit. In that I'm not trying to go work up the fruit of the Spirit. I'm not going to try to have more joy today or tomorrow. I'm going to, I'm going to work really hard to be more patient or more um, kind or more. I'm, I'm, going to be, I'm going to be more good today. I'm going to be, I'm going to be gooder today, right? Um, we can get in this mentality of we're trying to work up the fruit of the Spirit, but it's not a work of our flesh, it is what the Spirit is doing in us, shaping us into the image of Christ. And so therefore, chief among the fruit, many would say, and I believe, is love. And that the fruit of the Spirit is love. And from that place flows joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Now let me take you back to the Samson Boat Company and this boat builder, Leo, and, and sort of draw a little bit of a parallel here as Paul's using this terminology of fruit. Um, you know, he's speaking to agrarian society of people who understand farming, who understand vines and understand fruit bearing and all those kind of things. But in the, in the, one of the most fascinating parts of the YouTube channel where this young man is rebuilding this boat is he builds this uh, or, or puts together what he calls or what is called a lofting floor. And what the lofting floor is, is that he, he creates this life-size floor where he transfers the plans for this boat, the original plans for this boat, which are a scaled-down version of the boat. He transfers these plans into a life-size version of the plans on the floor, the lofting floor. And he spends an incredible amount of time ensuring that every single line intersects at the right degree, at the right angle, at the right distance, at the right measurements for every aspect of this plan. And in doing so, as he this lays out this lofting floor, he then is able to template all of the pieces that he needs for this boat from the lofting floor. So he can bring in pieces of wood, drop and, and fashion templates from this full-size lofting floor and then take it out to the wood that he's using, whether it's the live oak or the purple heart or, or whatever the wood may be, he can take those full-size templates and lay them out on the wood and make sure that what the original intent is, the original plan, the original design is, is transferred in to the uh, tally-ho, into the boat that he's building. And so everything is templated from, everything is measured by, and everything is made true by the lofting floor. And so is love. In our lives, this fruit of the Spirit is love. And every as other aspect of our life is measured by, is made true by, and is templated from this position of love. Because love is chief among fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and from love flows 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Now, I'm not going to go through all of the nine fruit of the Spirit. I would encourage you to take some time this week and begin to walk through and maybe even do a personal assessment. Lord, where is my joy level? Lord, where is my peace level? Where is my, my desire to be patient and, and kind to others and function in goodness, to be faithful or gentle or, or to express or, or, or have a, an element of self-control? Where do I fall in this? I would encourage you to do that. But I I want to talk just specifically about love being chief among the fruit and that from love, all of the rest of the things are templated from, are made true by our understanding and our, uh, the cultivation of love in us by God's spirit. Love is chief among the fruit. It is the master key of God's kingdom. Love is the fountainhead of the nature and character of God. Out of all of these fruit that are listed, love is the only one where we hear that the scriptures tell us, 1 John tells us, God is love. Love is, we, we're able to love because God first loved us. Without love, the scriptures say, it is impossible to please God. Uh, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love, right? And 1 Corinthians, they're going through... Um, they're going through the, the gifts of the Spirit, and we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit, but it's, it's walking through the gifts of the Spirit. He says at the end of the gifts of the Spirit, now I want to show you a more excellent way, and he begins to talk about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is, do you see what's happening here? Love is chief among fruit. And so really what we're looking for is the Holy Spirit to begin to cultivate in us a, a, a fruit of love. That the kingdom of love is breaking forth in our lives, producing in us joy, producing in us patience and kindness and goodness, gentleness and faithfulness, self-control, self all of those sort of things that love is the lofting floor of the kingdom of God. It, it is by love that everything else is measured. We know that Jesus gave the two laws and said, listen, uh, what, what is the greatest love? Laws, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two laws hang all the prophets. On these two laws hang all the prophets. Love is the highest way. Love is chief among the fruit. And so we should allow the the identity of the Spirit of God, allow the Spirit of God to, to bind us to our identity in Christ, that we walk by the Spirit, and as we walk by the Spirit, that we begin to experience the love of God in a way that we've never experienced before, and it begins to cultivate in us this God kind of love, which then begins to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Martin Luther said this, he said, it would have been enough to mention only the single fruit of love, for love embraces all the fruits of the Spirit. And then lastly, as Paul wraps up this piece in chapter 5 here, we see that the fruit of the Spirit, in particularly love, but the rest of the fruit of the Spirit, is the culmination of all of the law. He ends uh, verse 23 by saying, against such, the fruit of the Spirit, against such there is no law. 
against such there is no law. When we abide in Christ, the Spirit produces the God life in us, and therefore, um, therefore there is no need of the law anymore. The cultivation of the fruit of the Spirit and love in particular is the fulfillment of all the law. As I said a minute ago, Jesus said, love God, love neighbor. On these two laws hang all the law and the prophet. What he's saying is that if you can, if you can master this law of love, if you, can, if you can cultivate this law of love in your hearts, and the Spirit of God begins to produce this kind of fruit in you, you will, in, a, in effect, have completed or fulfilled all of the law. The Spirit in us, binding us to Christ, cultivating fruit, equals the perfectly governed life. This is how we know that we are walking by the Spirit. This is how we know that we are abiding in Christ, that there will be the fruit of the kingdom of God, the God kind of life in our lives, that it will be cultivated in our relationships, cultivated in our discussions, cultivated among our neighbors, cultivated in our communities and workplaces, that we would be noticed in and recognized as people who walk in love. And in walking in love, people who are living this sort of perfectly governed life, a life governed by in step with the Spirit of God. And I want to encourage you this week to go read through, assess your own heart. Like I said earlier, assess your own heart around the fruit of the Spirit and read through those and just begin to ask the Holy Spirit, cultivated me, shape me, mold me according to the ways of the kingdom of God, the God kind of life. Now, um, Guzik was talking about this in his commentary, and he said, this is a masterly understatement. This idea against such there is no law, this culmination of the law. So this is a masterly understatement. It draws our attention to the fact that the kind of conduct that Paul has outlined is that which lawmakers everywhere want to bring about. I mean, think about it. Who doesn't want to see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control present in humanity. Who, who, who is opposed to these kind of things? Of course not, because if we're living out these kind of things, then we treat our neighbors um, beautifully. We, we treat humanity beautifully as the way of God's kingdom. We, we function in such a way, we think in such a way, we have an ethic that de declares such a thing that the kingdom of God is, is who we yield to, is what we yield to, and it produces this kind of fruit, this kind of righteousness, this kind of peace, this kind of love, this kind of joy is available in the kingdom of God. So I'm going to encourage you, take some time this week, read through, study, even memorize James 5, or excuse me, not James, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, even memorize the, the fruit of the Spirit and begin to ask the Holy Spirit to cultivate this kind of fruit 
in this long obedience in the same direction sort of way. This, God, I am committed to the abide in you so that this sort of fruit will be, be cultivated in me. I hope that helps you today. Let me pray for you. God, we're so grateful for your spirit that dwells within us and that you are committed to the long haul, that you're committed to this long run, this long distance marathon of shaping us and molding us, bringing us ultimately into the place where we will be resurrected people in your presence. And so Lord, we yield to you. Help us, Holy Spirit, to abide in the vine so that we can produce the God kind of fruit, the spirit kind of fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Before you go again, let me pray this over you today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and uh, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. It's our desire to lead people to know Christ and to make him known. If you'd like to support the ministry of Hope Assembly, go to hopeassembly.org. Thank you for listening and God bless.